Hello, hello, hello. Long time no see. This is the first episode of the second season of the Mental Threads podcast and the 51st uh, episode of the Mental Threads podcast altogether. I am here with this very special guest. He is my grandfather, if he'd like to speak. Charles B. Winkway. Yep, that is his name, Charles B. Winkway. And uh, how old are you and when is your date of birth, sir? November 2, 1949. I'm now 72 years old. You don't have to bring it to my mouth. I mean, they got to hear you, though. November 2, 1979. I mean, 1949. And I'm now 72 years old. Mm-hmm. 72 years old, man. That's a long time. And uh, I recall last time we spoke about somebody reading your palm saying you might make it to your 90s. Is that correct? That's a hope. Nobody knows how long they have to live. But I understand in our family line, I know a lot of our family members are very long lived to know your mother is like, what, 90 something right now herself? Yes, my mother could be around 95, 96 years old now. And that's crazy how she survived like two civil wars, Ebola and like everything. And she's still living strong. Like, do you ever feel like maybe like our family line is like divinely protected in some way? Well, uh, life is always undetermined because the only one that can justify what happens in life is God. But my mother, I thank God for her because she's been around. She was around when the Liberian Civil War took place. And of course, the Ebola was just a disease that came in the country. It was not directly a civil war. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, it's still out there, you know, like the older you get, the more frail you're supposed to get, like idealistically. So it's just like, you know, to know that she's about to getting closer and closer to becoming a centenarian herself. We don't know if she's going to make it to 100 or not. I really hope she does. Uh, I'd like to meet her again one day. Last time she was here, I think I was a baby. I think last time she was here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Once you were here, you were just then a baby. She used to take care of you, watch you when your parents went to work. And she was here for at least three years before going home. And, uh, but she's fine. Life in Africa is different from life over here because most, most of the activities of the people in Africa are physical. Mm-hmm. Something like, you know, walking, Waking and other things that keep them healthy. It's not like uh, we do here from house to car, from car to anywhere you go, you are in a motor car or something luxury riding. They, they don't have that kind of luxury. So they do a lot of walking and it, it helps them to, to stay healthy. And it seems that you have a pretty good idea of what life like in Liberia was like before the two civil wars, correct? Well, yes, I lived in Liberia prior to coming here in 1979. The only big difference I can see now is crime in Liberia is now exceedingly uh, ridiculous. The crime rate in Liberia right presently is ridiculous. We never had to experience crime rate 
like it is now in Liberia. But however, this behavior came from the 14-year civil war that was fought in Liberia. And uh, after the war, the mentality of the youth is by far different from how we behave when we were children or youth. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and I understand you mentioned a whole lot about like how youth was pretty much different and stuff. Uh, let's go into more detail about how life was like when you were growing up, like from like a child to an adolescence or early adulthood. And, you know, I understand you were about like 30 years old when you left to go live in America, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. But life for every child or every individual varies different according to your family circle and stuff like that. So for me, personally, uh, life was not that easy because my father died when I was very young. And then I, I had to live with my mother and stepfather. So most things I had to do for my schooling, was what people consider now child labor. Mm -hmm. I started working very, very young. And then I, I had to do that. I used to go, we used to go to the Dama mine, we the young folks. We do what they call overjiking, which was after the miners had searched for Dama. We go after them and research where they have searched. And we were always sometimes lucky to find what they didn't find. So we were doing that when we were young. And for our community, for Lanco Mine, when companies begin to explore the mine, the iron ore that were in Lanco Mine, there were various companies that came to Liberia or in Nimba County at that time. And I started working with some of those companies when I was just maybe nine years old, just to help myself when school starts, to be able to supply my school needs because uh, my parents didn't have that kind of money to buy me nice clothes and uh, luxury things. So I used to, I started working very early. And the Lebanese people were in our town. They had stores. And I, rec I worked for a Lebanese man called Abu and another one called Karim. Karim. When, before I could get employment with the companies that were exploding Danko, I worked for these Lebanese people for some time. Just, I always have worked in order to help to keep myself and, and take care of my own needs. And maybe give, you know, whatever I have. Those days we have to always look out for parents. Whenever you got anything, money-wise, you take them to your parents. Mm. And so I did all this in my very youth I've been working all my life. Yes. 
okay, well, that's crazy. Um, I see the in our family, we have a very strong work ethic and everything. I feel like it transcended to us, you know, in some extent to another, um, you know, as if it manifested in like uh, Uncle Mario getting his degree or me working hard to get my degree, finally getting my degree in college. Uh, life update for all that don't know. Um, yeah, and just stuff like that. You see where Taurus is working to, trying to get the things that he's got to get and stuff of that nature. I'm about to start my new job in, like, uh, in the DMV area and everything. But, you know, regardless of how early life was and everything, I understand you mentioned a lot about, like, Lebanese people. I know that there were a lot of uh, immigrants that came outside of Liberia that probably, you know, stuck around in Liberia. Like, I know some were white, some were Lebanese, some were Asian or Korean and stuff of that nature. Uh, can you please describe the relations, like, in regards to, like, people who are native to Liberia, people who just were born and grew up in Liberia to, like, those who just kind of jumped in and are maybe started their family, whether they were on a missionary trip or stuff of that nature maybe they had business could you really just go into detail on just how like the work relations went between a lot of these people well the Liberian history told us that Liberians originally migrated from Sudan which is also a part of Africa and those days they had to walk from one country to the next and we were told that people that were in Liberia had migrated from Sudan. Of course, like I mentioned about the different companies coming to Liberia, there were people of all nationalities in Liberia. Mm. Yeah, you can find German, you can find Swedish, you can find uh, uh, French. Mexicans, uh, mm. I mean, there were a lot of different nationalities in Liberia, mm. especially so with the Lamco mine. Mm. Yeah, because uh, there was a whole, whole lot the company had to do. Mm. And I finally ended up working for the company itself as an, uh, I worked with the, with the, <coughs> I recall it. I was a union leader in unique in Liberia with Lamco prior to my coming to the United States. I was chief of shop stewards for Lamco Nimba operations, mm. and that I did for about three years prior to coming to America. Uh, yes, it's true that uh, before and after the black slaves, black free slaves from the United States settled in Liberia, native Liberians had come from, including the, the, the black slaves, we all migrated from Sudan, according to history. And then when slavery started, some of them were sold into slavery, and they came here to the United States and made families. And when free, uh, slavery was abolished, those who desire came back to Liberia. We understand were taken by a ship called the Elizabeth, mm. and that ship was owned by a man named Paul Coffey. And that's a ship 
that took the black slaves, I think the first group that went to Liberia, mm. to Africa. Mm. When they first got on the West African coast, they tried to settle in Sierra Leone. Mm. What they say, as according to the story, a lot of them died in Sierra Leone from sicknesses, but from disease, diseases. Mm. So they finally arrived in Liberia and settled on the Providence Island area. And of course, life became much better for them. And that's how the black Americans also went to Liberia. Mm. Liberia's first president was called Joseph Jenkins Rabos. Mm. He was from Virginia, as we learn later. Okay, well, that's cool. I know there's a lot of elements that they've taken from America to um, Liberia. We're pretty much going to touch on that later. I know you mentioned a lot of like our people coming from Sudan. I thought it was mostly just Mano and Gio people that came from Sudan. Like, could you, could you really describe that other groups like the Kron or the Basa or the Mandingo all came from Sudan? Or was it just like only certain groups came from Sudan? Yeah, the story is clearly, clearly indicates that all these tribes came from Sudan. Mm. And the only thing that brought the, the tribal differences was the language. Um. And uh, people who spoke the same language settled in a specific area. And that's why made the tribal groups of Liberia. And we have almost Twenty some tribes in Liberia. I thought I think it was like sixteen, maybe seventeen. Yeah, 16, huh? yeah maybe sixteen, something like that. But the tribal division was derived from the way they came and how they travel. Mm. And when they came, when they travel, they settled together. Those who understood each other. The same thing applies to us Africans coming to the states today. Mm. We are usually settling in states where we have somebody we know. As usually, it's in an area where somebody we know can speak the same language like us. And that's, that's just part of humanity. You go where somebody, like the person say, you go where somebody knows your name or where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's great, though, how, like, you know, we carry our tribal relations into the states and stuff of that nature. Um, I know a lot of our groups are mostly just uh, associated with mono groups and everything. But back on tribal relations, uh, Grandpa. What else? You need the remote? Oh, a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back on uh, tribal relations and stuff of that nature. I know it's just like, you know, we have certain relationships with different uh, tribal groups and stuff of that nature. Hold on one second. Right, my bad. All right. So it's like, yeah, just in, in regards to tribal relations and everything. Um, I know that our sister tribe, uh, the Gio people and everything, we come from the same, like, they're our sister tribe. So it's just like, you know, could you explain just our relations to tribes like the Gios or explain the antagonism that we share um, over the Civil War in regards to Mono and the Kron folk and stuff of that nature and other uh, notable uh, uh, tribal relations, if you'd like to speak on it in your own words? Well, I was not in Liberia when the civil disturbance started. But when the first 
coup attempt in the Republic of Liberia took place, a crown man by the name Samia K. Doe, who was at that time a sergeant in the army, including people like Thomas Kumakpa, who was a Mano person, they were the soldiers that were considered pronounced as overthrowing the government. And Samia Doe became its leader. And uh, Kumakpa was a general. After the coup, they elevated each other to positions to run the country. But uh, from what we understand and read, Kuokpa wanted them to be able to turn, bring the, the country to normality and leave government as leaders of the, 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 the country and self, go back to serve as military people as they were before the coup. But after the first few years of Samuel Doe's leadership as the head of that commission, because they appointed uh, Thomas, I mean Samuel K. Doe to lead the, the, the coup, as leader of the coup. So he was then the, the head of state. And after he became head of state, he did not want now to return to normal soldier life as they had promised. And Kuropa, who was a man of man, wanted them to do that because he saw, he saw that the military rule would not be feasible to the, to the country. So he wanted them to return back to the barracks. And that disagreement between them brought confusion and they began to kill one another who were members of the, the, the coup, who were the soldiers that were considered establishing the coup that killed uh, William R. Uh, Talbot. So when that started, Samuel Doe felt that since Kuropa was a man of man, then the Gio and Mano people who were from the territory, from the county he, he belongs, were his enemies. And he, he wanted to exterminate every Nimba citizen from the face of Liberia. So they began to commit murders, killing people, Nimba people. And that, that brought what Thomas Kuhn train got train, certain training from the states and returned to Liberia to overthrow the government and, and take Samia Do down. Mm -hmm. Well, in that coup attempt, unfortunately, I think this was uh, 85. Mm. Unfortunately, the coup failed. So Doe retains his position as head of the state. Mm. And that, that was the, 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 the problem that came between the crown people and the minor people. 
because Kunapa was from the Manor area, mm. and Samuel was from the Crown area, Grand Jide County, they call it. And the two counties met soldiers. There were caves that were used as soldiers mm. to fight the war. And so there was no real discrimination on who they were shooting as long as that person was from Grand Jide, the manor group on the other side would shoot in, that, in their direction. Mm -hmm. And the, the Grand people would shoot in the direction of the, the Nima County group. So that's how the war became a conflict between the two counties until Samuel Doe was uh, arrested by a man who was also from Nimba, mm. uh, who is also from Nimba, Prince Johnson, uh. now the uh, senior senator for Nimba County. Oh, Prince Johnson's still alive? Yeah. Oh, okay, Dad, I really need to brush up on my history then, gosh. Because I know they, they captured Samuel Doe, but they didn't kill him automatically. I remember they spared him, didn't they? I got his picture in my phone. The killing took place. So wait, Prince Johnson killed Samuel Doe? Yeah, he, he arrested, he was commanding a group that arrested Samuel Doe. Mm. Man, all this Civil War stuff is crazy, man. Because I remember United States were on Samuel Doe's side. I remember they gave Samuel Doe all those weapons and everything just to keep the war going. And America didn't even bother to clean up anything from all that mess that they even started putting fire to. I feel like there was something sinister behind it because, like, you know, you push this civil war to happen. All these children are dying. All these innocent people are dying for no reason because you want to give the wrong person guns and everything. And then it's just, like, it's just sad. And they don't even bother to try to help Liberia, try to clean it up or nothing. You know, but they want to set their business like Firestone to take all the rubber they can, and they don't even bother to clean up the place. Like, why do you think stuff like this happens all the time throughout Africa? Well, I mean, you can definitely just not generalize in that term. Because America, in its own way, provided some assistance during and after the war for, to, to, to bring stability in Liberia. But what, what really the problem is in Africa, as we can see it, is corruption. You see, the people made contributions that will help for humanity. But when the money gets in the country, then the people running the government packet it the money, instead of using it to benefit the people. So we can, I, I will not just generalize and say they abandoned them, they, they didn't do much. They may not have done what we would call much, but they reached out mm. to do something. Mm. It's just that what they gave or what they offer has not, were not used for the purpose. Mm. because of corruption. Mm. Dang. 
that really really sucks that our own kind or even do some things like that you know corrupting the government and stuff like that because i feel like liberia could be up there with nigeria and ghana if we just put our resources together and start trying to get at each other's necks and everything like that you know you see it all the time even in the communities here in america you know where people arguing over things that don't matter people putting witchcraft on other people for no reason and it's it's never directed to anything that that threatens us as a people it's always against our own people and i never really understand the mentalities that go with stuff like that but it's just like you know i mean but back on the whole tribal relations uh, subject matter again i know we've spoken about how our connection with the geo people and everything the mono people and cron folk and stuff of that nature um i know what was our relationships as mono people with like tribal people like a uh, Basa or the Pele people and stuff of that nature. Like, well, we, we pretty much had pretty good relations with other groups like that, or was it just like, what's up? Yeah, relations were normal in Liberia, and it stayed normal because within the countries, there is no genuine conflict that they can relate to. You can meet. A man of man can meet a Basa person. The only difference they were incurred is they we can, if they are speaking their languages, they will not understand each other. Mm. But for humanity, they, they are receptive to one another. Mm. Yeah, they treat each other just as they would treat their family member. Mm. So there's no such, no such thing as yeah, they, like I, I tried to explain earlier, the tribal situation in Africa is just depending on during the time of migration. People who traveled together were usually people who understood one another. Mm. And sometimes between the languages, it's like differences. I mean, sometimes they call the same item the same name, but the pronunciation is 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 different. Mm. The accent is different. Mm. So the trap uh, situation is, is, is depending on who all travel together and settle in the same location. Like in Nimba County, the Manu people are on the upper part of Nimba County mm. and the Gio people are on the lower part. Uh, Nimba County, and they call certain things the same name, but it just it just the pronunciations or accents I would call it that make a slight difference in in saying what they have to say. I like for me, I can understand Gio very well, but I can't speak it clearly. Mm. Yeah, so that's how the tribal thing is. Okay, oh, that's cool. That's, that's really, really cool. But I know that, for instance, like we're very, very close to our sister tribe, the Gio folk, correct? Yeah. Like we're very close to the Gio folk. Yes, I, I just said, yeah, they both tribes settle in the same county, which is Nimba. Mm. One is on the upper part and one is on the lower part of the county. Oh. Yeah. So Gio's on the lower part and we're on the upper part? Yeah, and Mana. On the upper, on the northern side. Mm, okay, well, I know some of us kind of leak into Guinea a, a little bit too. You know? Yeah, because uh, well, yes, the Manu people are mostly linked to Guinea, but I mean, Guinea is a 
a big country, mm -hmm. so the borderlands comes between both Gio and Manu, and sometimes even the, the Grand Gide people, they are, some of them in, in, in every coast. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, no, that's really interesting uh, how a lot of this uh, works together with relations and tribal relations. You know, 16 tribes in 16 languages, that's a lot, you know, and, you know, to even keep up with. You know, it's just, it's just, I know you mentioned, like, there's Mexican people that be in Liberia. I didn't even know that Mexicans were in Liberia from time to time yeah, and everything. A, there was a, a, mess, a, a Spanish man by the name of Joe Lopez. He was with Lamco, and my uncle, Peter Gono, used to work for him. Mm. Used to work, drive for him. So I knew him, and he was nice to us when we were young. Mm. There were all nationalities, almost, I can tell you, were in Nimba County due to the Lamco mine, Nimba mine operation. Mm. It was a very big, big, Big company. That's crazy. I know it's like Lamco is mostly focused on getting diamonds and stuff of that nature, correct? No, Lamco was mainly mining iron ore. Oh, iron ore, because I know that's one of the things we got. It's iron ore, mm -hmm. uh, rubber from the rubber trees, and some diamonds here and there. And Do we have gold in Liberia, too? Yeah, they, they, it was called Gold Coast way back. Mm -hmm. Way, maybe in the 1600s or so. Uh, but uh, gold mining has not been a major operation in Liberia. Mm. Iron ore has been. Uh, iron ore was it? Up to present. Uh, and from your, like, um, for your opinion and everything, do you feel like we were getting, uh, like, any benefits back from all the iron ore mining? Uh, personally, I don't feel like we're getting it all back, but I've really been there to kind of see how, you know, but, like, do you feel like that we're getting enough out of it back? Well, not really. And it's not because the company did not want to, but uh, it, it was the selfishness of the Liberian people that came from the United States, the black Americans. Mm. Uh, they never wanted too much for the natives they met there. Mm. They wanted to treat the, the natives they met in Liberia as second-class citizens. Mm. So they, they, they never wanted them to live like, as they were living. So, I mean, when the companies wanted to build uh, apartments and stuff for people to live in, they limited the company from building luxurious apartments or uh, places for the people to stay because they did not want the people to live like they were living. So, Ah, uh, 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 yeah, so where were we? Well, we, I was just mentioning, trying to make clear that the companies, for example, Lamco, the operator, the Nimba mine, mm -hmm. maybe could have done much, much better than they did because the government were asking for the money to to do what they could do to, uh, to, to service the people. They would say, the government would say, I will do it if you give us the money. But when they give them the money, they don't do it as the company could have done it. And so 
the the the, the living condition was was not too conducive for the citizens. The roads were not properly built. But when you when you go in a company concessional area where staff members live, it was like you in Europe. You got paved roads, you got buildings with fresh water, you got electricity, you got all those things. And then the buildings for the non-star workers, they have to go outside to another building to go take a shower. And they, they had, some of them had no kitchen mm. and, and stuff like that. But those were work of the Liberian government at that time. Because the company was just willing to build a, 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 a residential area that would be uniform. Mm. But uh, the Liberian government did not permit them to do so. Mm. They took the money and just used it for their own benefits. Mm. Mm. And this is mostly the American slaves or the descendants of the American yeah, slaves? Yeah, they, they were leading Liberia for ruling Liberia for over 27 years until the coup. Mm. Liberia was, was being governed by them. But then again, we can, I cannot conclusively say just them because even after the coup, the natives who, who did the coup mm. were in, in power, but then it ended up into this corruption thing until today. It's nothing but corruptions. Man, that really sucks, man. It's sad. It's like one of the main, one of my main dreams for sure is to be able to build myself up as an individual so I can be able to clean up Liberia as best I can. Maybe not single-handedly, but at least probably lead a, the, the momentum to get that situated. You know, like I imagine like Liberia, you know, uh, I imagine uh, us using more solar energy, you know, to help uh, light up the place so people can actually like learn how to read. I know the literacy rate isn't really like as high as like we should be. I want to raise the literacy rate. If we can raise the literacy rate, we start doing good in school, uh, build up our education and everything, you know, we can clean that up. I like to also turn the beaches in Liberia to more of like a, uh, more of like a resort, you know, more build more resorts in that area. Hopefully one day, if I do make as much money to actually get that situated, I like to build a whole lot of resorts on the beaches, maybe a boardwalk so that maybe people want to like come to visit Liberia more often. You know what I'm saying? Maybe turn it into like I don't want to say like Florida in a sense, but kind of like something like that, or that like I don't know. But it's just like just something where it's like they can do stuff. You know, like within Liberia, so people want to come by, visit more, everything from all over the world. You know, it's just like, I wanted to become like a good vacation spot, you know, where it's like, we can be able, the way how hotel, how like Rwanda became like the Singapore of Africa and everything, all because they all took the time to clean themselves up after their civil wars and their genocides and stuff of the Tutsis and stuff of that nature. You know, it's just, it's really just a matter of just creating the great, creating the right plan and trying to realize the correct vision to make these things happen, you know? So it's just like, it's just a lot. Grandfather, we have to get situated, but I know we've been speaking more about a lot of this stuff um, for a while. 
and stuff of that nature. But I want to ask you, Grandpa, and everything, uh, what other things you feel that we could do to actually clean up Liberia as best we can? Like, what, what do you think we else we need to do? Well, in any society, what you do to build the, the place is first consider the society as owning whatever belongs in the society. Mm. That means whatever the economic benefit is for a country or a government, that benefit be used to to entitle the citizen ray to good life. But when you say you're serving the people and you don't have the people at mind and whatever comes in a society, you try to benefit from it, is the problem in Africa. Mm. The countries like Nigeria now or Ghana, right by Liberia, are more advanced and improved than Liberia. Mm. But Liberia should be the same. Liberia has a lot of iron ore, diamond, all those things were being exploited out of Liberia. Even the company houses I mentioned earlier were modern houses that the, the staff used to live in. Well, after the war, the government did nothing to maintain those houses. And they all went down. People started taking windows and doors out of the houses. And now the place is, is a complete forest now because of the government failure to maintain those things for the citizenry. So you can do whatever unless, unless the society, the people are open to have good life for every person in the society, not every person but to have the country at heart, then you can do something to improve it. But when you just about yourself, then the country cannot improve because when you alone build a nice house or you, are, you have 10 cars and the rest of the people are walking, it does no good for the country because the cars will be parked. You can only drive one at a time. Mm. But if you use that money to build roads and capacitate the people to be able to travel freely, and you maybe you have one car, the country will develop. Mm. But when you don't, and that's the problem with, with Liberia for that matter, yeah, they, they say they want to build a country. They say they want to do that. But once they get up there, they forget about the people down there. Mm. Yeah. So that's the sad thing about Africa, Liberia for that matter. Because uh, uh, just as you mentioned, Rwanda and other places have war. But when they came back, 
they, they, they rebuild their yeah. country. They, they did what they can. In mm -hmm. Liberia, you see a, a, a country that has no money, according to them, a senator will make maybe 15000 a month. I mean, why pay him that kind of luxury amount of money for one person? And the rest of the people in the country are starving. You know, only they only do that because they want to keep the money within their system, their circle. Mm, that's very. That's actually very sad. But I don't know. I feel like that's just one of the things we need to outgrow as people. Is that we need to outgrow this selfish behavior, just looking for like the small circle of people when we yeah. could be looking for the whole country as a whole. Yeah. You know, I could imagine like maybe like building um, maybe a larger soccer stadium. Maybe it's like maybe uh, yeah. so in the future maybe so we could be able to like strengthen our soccer team. Maybe uh, maybe we can get into basketball too. Maybe each county could have their home basketball team and stuff like that. So that maybe like if we could be able to better organize this stuff, maybe then we could be able to like you know maybe going to the Olympics a lot more. Once we start showing out in the Olympics a little bit more, that will probably bring more attention to Liberia and stuff of that nation, nature through endorsement deals, stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Soccer and basketball, that's two sports I feel like. Or maybe even rugby. We could probably do rugby. Like uh, South Africa does rugby. If somebody could teach us how to do play rugby, like we'd be, we'd be killing rugby too. So maybe that could be like the three sports because that's more international. Rugby, basketball, and uh, soccer and everything. American football, not too much. I mean, that's American football still, but it's just like we could just kind of stay within that circle and stuff of that nature. I feel like there could be a, a very fruitful future for us, but we all have to band together as people. I know, like we're starting to make lives. A lot of our offspring here, um, children of other Liberian people that came straight out of the country, uh, like Quiddy Pay, for instance, like was uh, drafted to the Colts, and he's been making a whole lot of money and everything. Got a whole got to tell his story, although he is Cron and everything. I do look up to him, and I think it's very great that he be able to step forward and be able to change his family's life. Hopefully, I can do the same also if I can be able to discipline myself and stuff of that nature but it all comes down to really just building yourself up as an individual <laughs> the bigger picture and stuff of that nature I don't mean to yawn and stuff of that nature but I know we've spoken more about like how you know Liberian relations and stuff like that um, explain how swimmingly a lot of um, our, our mono people and Liberian folk in general has been uh, since moving into the states and stuff of that nature like you feel like it's changed any different or do you feel like there's still a little bit more drama here like that we carry from the old country to here in the states that's kind of hindering, uh, hindering us as a people and whatnot well, I mean, to be very honest, even us Liberians in the United States hold to heart extreme motivation for developing the country Liberia. But again, the sad thing is you have to be opportuned to do what you may anticipate for a society. For example, we the people from Nimba County in the United States have organized 
our community. And that, that group is called the United Nimba Citizens Council. I have played major roles in it. I was a speaker of that organization. I was three, four times, three times chair uh, leader for the North Carolina group. And presently, I serve on the advisory board of that organization. And our intention is always to do things or seek to do things that will advance the life of the people in Liberia, especially so in our county, Nimba. And we can only do it in limited ways because of scarce resources. So, I mean, like people from Liberia in the country have had to improve the life of the people in Liberia, but they have to have the opportunity to do so. And most of them will go to school, learn something, and go to Liberia. And if people in Liberia, they call it, who know you? If nobody in the government know you well, you probably won't have good employment, even though you have the education. And people have gone there with good education who wanted to see the country move towards progress and development. And because the rest of the people do not feel that to be the right thing to do in the country, they will be against them and cause them and call them troubleshooters because they are advising that government funds be used for the benefit of the country. And, and sometimes some of them lost their jobs only because they try to suggest development over personal gain. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's something we all have to always work on. And you, the young people, the, the older people are always say we don't have to blame nobody mm -hmm. so much for what is going on because every generation has its role to play. If you play, your generation decides that we need to rebuild our country, build roads, build hospitals, build schools, that generation will do that. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, then you can't sit there and blame the generation of two, three hundred years ago. Mm. You can't blame them. Because you always have the opportunity to do what you can do. Our uh, JFK said, do not ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mm. Because when you ask that, then you will be moved to seek to do projects in the interest of the country and not just you.
I can understand that very well, very, very well. You know, I see a lot of us Liberians in America as like worker bees and everything. We're just kind of here to just kind of build ourselves up and be able to be able to uh, build whatever skill set we need to better help our people. You know, that's why I went into business administration and why I have such a deep interest in business administration and marketing, because I feel like, you know, once you actually learn the all entrepreneurial side of how to like build, uh, organize within the system to better benefit your people, we can be able to compete with the Vietnamese, the Koreans, the Middle Eastern people, you know, stuff of that nature. They all own businesses and stuff of that nature. You know, I could see maybe a future where, you know, and that's why I moved to D.C., where I know there's a large Liberian uh, uh, population out there. You know, if I can just kind of, like, be that, not be that beacon, in a sense, but if I can just be able to step forward as an individual and lead my people to, like, you know, establishing ourselves, you know, and more uh, organized. I know you, like, what really drove me to doing business is actually that story you told me about how y'all tried to, like, uh, um, start y'all on a taxi company, but then because y'all weren't too organized, that's why it was hard to kind of keep it going, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's stuff that kind of, because simple twists and simple fixes with stuff like that could have really set us, you know, in the right direction of making a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of Africans go in the taxi cab business. Imagine how good we would do if, and only if, we just had it a little bit more organized. You know, a lot of my business plans go into like maybe owning a couple laundromats and stuff of that nature, maybe a grocery store, maybe two or three grocery store, depending if you're going to be able to find the right places to uh, uh, be able to farm and uh, stuff of that nature. I don't know. But uh, yeah, just stuff of that nature. Um, if we could just work, work very, very diligently um, to uh, protect our resources and our interests and reinvest in our people as organized as possible. I feel we can get a lot of profit out of it. I could see maybe 30, maybe 50 years from now, um, uh, things being uh, a lot different and stuff of that nature, you know, or it's like maybe Liberia can be that uh, next, uh, that next main uh, nation and stuff of that nature. Okay. Now we've spoken a whole lot about, you know, relations regarding how we can fix Liberia and stuff of that nature. What I want to do is like, I don't want to get too, too personal, but just kind of just go into your experiences, uh, you know, coming into America and everything, you know, as an African, I know you all pretty much Liberia, uh, English is one of our main English, uh, languages and stuff but i understand there's kind of would be kind of like some ups and downs transitioning from uh from west africa liberia to like the states north carolina um what drew y'all you especially to come to charlotte north carolina i know it's just like i know you, i think was it one of our um relatives uh Buon, i think that led you to come here uh patrick Buon's father i think something like that well i mean as i Indicated already, when people travel, mm -hmm. usually you are going to locate yourself in a place where you knew somebody lived there, that lived there. Well, my cousin, whose name you just mentioned, Boan, he was the first from our family to come to the States. And when he came, he was in Kentucky, and uh, and he was communicating with us. And he introduced life in this country and told us about it. 
But when I came personally, Joe Wankwe, Josh Wankwe, Josiah Sua, who are all family members, were already have moved from Wisconsin to North Carolina. So when I came from Liberia, I came straightly to them in North Carolina and still remain in North Carolina. But basically, people will reside in a location based on who they knew to come to. The person that will help them, help lodge them until they can become self-sufficient. So that's how I ended up in Charlotte. And as we all come, then we begin to send for other closest relatives. And now North Carolina has pretty good number of winquies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when I came, my main focus was how do I get my daughters that are left in Liberia here? Mm-hmm. And that was my priority. Mm-hmm. And when I succeeded and got them here, now they are here, and you are my grandson because I was able to bring them here. Mm-hmm. And this is the same story that goes around and around with a lot of families in the States. Mm. Yeah, man. So I feel like it's one of the beauties about America and everything. You know, everyone comes from all sorts of places. Yeah, we all managed to find ourselves here in the states and stuff of that nature to kind of build our own legacy and stuff of that nature you know even with barack obama his father was like you know a kenyan who had relations um who had a relationship with a white woman and next thing he became like the first uh black uh u.s president you know and the only u.s president so far as far as we're concerned Mm, i don't know yeah, well, I don't know when the next one's coming, you know, hopefully. We'll have to just be able to educate our people a little bit better in the States. Uh, you know, maybe we can be able to make that happen again. We can have another black president. I'm glad that hopefully I can be able to live long enough to actually see that again. You know, we're all very lucky to have seen that, you know, I feel like. But it's like, even regards to that, uh, but, you know, day-to-day life, you know, coming to the States and everything, I know you've developed a lot of relationships with a lot of the black American women here and everything. What about black American women that seems to draw your interest, uh, personally? Well, I mean, women, our social life is like the food you eat. No matter you eat hamburger yesterday, today, if you are giving hot dog, you will eat it. So when you travel, as a man, you go in any society, the companion you will seek is a female, because even when you are home, you will seek a female relationship. And that's how when we come here, we will socialize with black American women. And to, to my knowledge, they have been really, really nice. I can give them the credit for the reception they give people who travel from different countries and come in this country. 
But again, it's just life. No matter where you go, no matter what you have had, as far as fool and woman or women, wherever you go, you are always going to need them. You're going to need food wherever you go. And whatever the food there is where you will survive by. Mm -hmm. So that's how when we come, we, we socialize with black American women. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the men get a little bit envious <laughs> and think we are taking women from them. <laughs> But they are always sufficient women anywhere you go. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of who you will feel you can have companionship with. I understand. And they feel they can have you to share life together. Mm. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But either way, you will always endeavor to seek one another. Surely. But it's like, but but the main thing is like, what draws you personally? It's just because they're a woman or whatnot. I know like the languages is kind of different. You know, they're not, they don't have the accent that the Liberian accent has. You know, the accent is different. Would you say that, you know, how they carry themselves, the black American woman, you say that that kind of like, it was just kind of how different it was? Like the difference kind of have you drawn interest in yourself? Like what, what you, personally, could you speak first of yourself that draws you to black American woman? Like, you know, they're just, they're just kind and nice and that's just it. Like I said, it's not a drive towards, it's a necessity. When you travel and you get in a society, mm -hmm. you are a man, you will need companionship with females because you don't want to be the LGD, this and that, or gay, or something like that. So you will seek relationship with females. Even though most times it gets difficult because of culture. I mean, the African man, especially who just came, we have distinct ways of treating or living with women. Mm. And then when you come here, it's a different thing. Everybody has the right, everybody is equal in the eyes of the law. And sometimes when you, when you come, you struggle a little bit with that. But sooner or later you get adjusted to what it is. Mm. And then you all can live in harmony. Mm. But that is something that everyone traveling, Even the Muslims or this and that that comes in this country, they go through that same experience. Some of them come with different mentality when they get in a relationship with American women. Mm -hmm. But the woman will try to tell them, I am independent, I have right, I can do this. That they thought you know, their women had not been doing that with them. Mm -hmm. But they have to accept that reality and come down to accept living with them under the condition subscribed by the woman. I see. 
So it's like, you know, I know you built a kind of a reputation of being kind of like a ladies' man. I understand, like, you had a, plenty of relationships with a lot of the women here in America. I don't know what your status was back in Liberia and everything. And I'm not saying that something drove you or whatever, but it was just like, you know, what, what was something that, that you did in order to, like, you know, I don't say build that reputation, but in a sense, like, what was, like, you know, what was your habits that kind of drew you into, like, you know, uh, building so many different relationships with so many different women like, during your time in America? I don't know uh, if you were told by anybody that I, <laughs> I was so much uh, a woman man, but when you are growing up and you learn to take care of yourself, some women will like just you for how you appear to them. Mm -hmm. And you can have friends once you are not yet legally married to maintain a relationship. Mm. So in that effort or under that circumstance, sometimes you can meet a lady and you have not intend that it will be a real good relationship. But sometimes you go there, you don't know what the future will be. You can meet the lady and during your relationship, she tells you I'm pregnant. Now, if you are somebody with conscience, you will not just want to walk away from the on Boncha and everything. So you will be in that relationship for some time until maybe she deliver and you see the child. And if you are a caring person, you will be in the life of the child. Mm -hmm. And maybe the relationship that brought forth that child did not work for you all to be married and take care of the child. Then you still have to move on. You still have to move on. Life is always a matter of search. You are always looking for what you need until you get it. And even if you get it, sometimes you still want, you know, better. Mm. So that's how life has been. And I thank God for every day of my life especially my youth days. Now I'm single. I don't have no woman now. So that's fine. No problem. No problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in regards to just how life in America has panned out and everything, uh, were there any regrets in regards to just leaving Liberia and coming to start a life here? Like, do you wish you kind of undo all that? Or do you just, are you pretty much uh, pretty uh, stationary with your decision in regards to coming here to the States and making life for yourself? Nobody regrets better than worse. Life in Africa, when we were growing up, was worse. Mm. You struggled too hard to survive. Mm. But when you come to the States, you have an opportunity to go to school. You have an opportunity to, to have a job and make money. 
And there are a lot of people in Africa that don't have a job. They have to, they have to just survive by working for themselves or doing something for survival. So I don't think in most instances, people who travel to the States will regret coming to the States because people in, in Africa are all wishing to, for a better life and they think they can get it here, then they can get it home. Mm. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's why it is. And considering how our family dynamic going, do you feel like generations later and everything, you feel that uh, that you made the right decision, like a descendants 100, 200 years from now will look at your choice to come to the States as being like, you know, one that was a, that was the right decision or it's just like, you know, something like, oh yeah, like you, like, you know, like just the future for like generations in our family, you feel like, you know, we're, we're going to be, I don't want to say successful, successful, but we're going to be like, you know, you know, live pretty well, that you know, way better than we would have if we would have stayed in Liberia? Well, it's an individual thing. Each and every one of you will do as you gear, uh, motivate yourself to do. I have 12 grandchildren in this country now, and I have no reason to regret coming here because... My name will remain in this country whether I'm gone or not. Mm. The grandchildren will have children, and their children will have children. So there will always be a winner somewhere in this country in the phone book. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's nothing there to regret about. I am so proud and happy that I was able to make it here. And I'm very much pleased that the law has been with me one way or the other, that my children are doing pretty well. They all are self-sufficient. They got homes. Mm -hmm. They got children. And so I sit as a grandfather now, in my age as 72, if I have 12 grandkids, that's a big, big blessing. Mm -hmm. Some people have million dollars and they don't even have a child. Mm -hmm. I have nothing right now. Live on social security and have 12 grandkids. Mm -hmm. So I know my soul, my body will always be in this country. Oh, okay. Uh, for sure. So you want to be buried here in the States. You don't want to be buried in Liberia, nothing like that? Or spend your final days in Liberia? Well, I mean, that's a choice. Maybe my children will make because when I die, I have no voice mm -hmm. unless I express in will how I want them to do it. And if they want to do it that way, they will do it. Mm -hmm. But I, I just pray for good life, have good health now that I'm alive. And upon death, my children will decide if they want to bury me here closer to my grandkids. It will be their will. Because even if you took my body from here to Liberia and the 12 grandkids are in this country, 
and they having children. Mm -hmm. Who are you taking my body to? Mm. The old people that my mother is dead. My, I mean, it's not dead yet, but my father is dead, and she will be dead too. Mm. And so, if you take me there, you just take me there. Mm. Yeah, I won't see much, much a good reason for that. Mm. I would rather be somewhere where my grandchildren can, can come on yeah. uh, Memorial Day and drop a flower and pass. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that, I can see that. Part of me will want to have my ashes spread, like, on the mountains of Nimba, because I know the mountains of Nimba was seen as a holy spot where we were closest to God, uh, correct? And I don't know, about, don't know that. about that. Well, I read into it, it's like saying that we called our God uh, Walla and everything of that nature, and, like, the mountains were the place where we, we worship because, like, that was the closest that uh, we got to God in our eyes. So it was just, like... You know, I just thought that was very, like, you know, I thought that was very very cool, very spiritual. I mean, that's one way I'd like to go, I know. Or maybe I could be get a casket from uh, Ghana because, you know, they design coffins in regards to what you're most known for, something like that. Maybe design my own personal coffin and then be buried in the mountains of Nimba, possibly. But now that's here, what you're saying, that kind of makes more sense to at least be buried in the States because then it's just like, uh, then, like, you know, like my relatives and stuff can be able to is at my grave site and stuff of that nature you know like we're very long lived in our family I think um, I went to a spiritual guy they said that I was going to live between 80 to 90 years old like every spiritual guy I go to they say I'm going to live to 80 90 years old and everything so it's just like I know that that part must be true for sure because um, a lot of a lot of our relatives are very long life you know, in terms of family-wise, I don't know when I'd want to start my own family. Um, I'm thinking maybe around maybe 26, maybe 27 after I got my MBA, uh, my master's degree, and then maybe we can kind of move on with that. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Stuff of that nature. Um, yeah, so it's like I'd be, I'd be thinking about things like that, or how future's gonna look out for me and everything. They say I might have four children, stuff of that nature, or four children at most, maybe more than that, maybe less. I'm gonna have a very big family and stuff. One of the main things I want to do is be able to buy land, maybe 200 acres of land, so it's like maybe a place where we can be able to bury our relatives and everything, you know, so close friends, you know, stuff of that nature, and just another side of that uh, land where it's like that we can be able to have our family reunions at for generations going forward, all the Sifili, all the Wankwe, and anyone that's related, connected to that line, or whatever, they can just return uh, to that land I purchased and everything. I'm thinking maybe 200, 300 acres and stuff of that nature so that you know nobody could tell us where to leave or whatever. We can just kind of be there and stuff of that nature. You know, I feel like buying land is just one of the things I want to uh, go into. And so just to give back to our family group, you know, like when I'm gone and stuff of that nature. So, yeah, man. But yeah, I, I think we've spoken for about a good hour, 10 minutes. Like, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty insightful episode and stuff of that nature. You know, I'm trying to get back into this. My main goal for this year is to do like 100 episodes this year and everything. So then altogether, I might be having like 150 episodes for my podcast altogether. Maybe I can start doing it with videotape and stuff of that nature. Until then, I'm just have to keep going with this format 
and just kind of build the content up and stuff of that nature. So I want to say thank you, Grandpa, for uh, hopping on for this episode. I feel like you dropped a whole lot of insight in regards to just how life was back home and just uh, stuff of that nature. And I really, really appreciate it. And we're able to get it done. You know, I've been meaning to do it for a while, but, you know, I'm just I'm just happy I was able to get it done. Uh, somehow, some way. So it's just, uh, I want to thank you for that, Grandpa. Um, is there any uh, final words you want to like drop um, before we go off? And not really. And I want to tell you, you are welcome anytime. And you talk to me, you are very welcome anytime. Right. And you take care of yourself and be a, a, a good person. Be who you dream to be. Don't follow group, don't follow friends. Follow your own God, your own instance. Thank you again. Uh, thank you very much, Grandpa. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, that's it for the Mental Threads Podcast. This is episode 51, the first episode of season two. Um, we are on our way out. Thank you very much.